Welcome to episode 14 of Big League Flicks, a sports movie podcast. I'm Jamie McKinman, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Christian Webster and Jordan Reed. How are you doing, boys? Real uh, somber intro on this episode. How are you doing, fellas? Good to be here in the Raj. Uh, back at her for another episode. Great movie tonight, JR. I'm doing great, everybody. Hope you guys are well. Hope everybody out there is well. Uh, yeah, great movie to do tonight. Really looking forward to this one, guys. So today we're jumping into the world of mixed martial arts with Gavin O'Connor's 2011 classic, Warrior. Growing up, we all wanted to know the toughest kid in the neighborhood was, right? I want to know the toughest man on the planet is. That's what we're going to find out. Brendan, it's me, Pop. What are you doing here? Tommy's back. Did he say if he wants to see me? I'm proud of you, Tommy. What you did for that kid, the tank. What was I supposed to do? Let him drown? Tommy Reardon, you saved my life. Look, Brendan, the bank has got to go by the new appraisal figures. You're upside down on your mortgage. How much do you need? I didn't come in for long, Frank. I was hoping that you would train me. Are you serious? Do it! I thought we agreed that we weren't going to raise our children in a family with their father gets beat up for a living. Brendan, you're a teacher. You got no business in the ring with those animals. Actually, I used to be one of those animals. I guess I forgot to put that down on my application. There's this big tournament. Top 16 middleweights in the world. But when it takes all, I'm gonna need a trainer. Of that much you were good at. Frank, I need this. I got a family to protect. Everything I do is for them. What's going on up here? Daddy is now a princess. Mom needed you. I needed you. You're my big brother. You bailed on me. I was a 16-year-old kid. What the hell did I know? You had a choice, okay? You had a choice. War hero Tommy Reardon, who has become an overnight sensation, and Brandon Conlon, the physics teacher, they pulled off a miracle. Do this. What are you saying? I can do this. You got him. This is impossible. The two men fighting for the championships tonight are brothers. The war. Are we here to win this fight? Because if we're not, I will throw in the towel. You know the drill. Before we dive into this, we're going to have to wet our lips a little bit. So let's get into our brew review. What are we doing today, Webb? Well, boys, since we're celebrating the Brothers Conlon tonight, I thought I'd take us back to the lush rolling hills of the mother country with a delicious pint of Kilkenny Irish Red Cream Ale. From the makers of Guinness, this nitro-generated Irish cream ale delivers a smooth, flavorful taste with 50% less carbonation than regular beers. At 4.3%, it goes down easy like a light beer, but tastes smoother while still retaining the full flavored characteristics of an imported beer. So kick back with some pals, raise a glass, and give us a launch to Kilkenny. Slanche, boys. Slanche. As always, Big League Fix reminds you to please enjoy responsibly and make sure you have yourself a safe ride home. <laughs> well done, Webb, again. Good and you? 
Oh, I really like this one. Oh, it's 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 Kilkenny season. Kilkenny season is here. It's it a crisp, is. cool fall night. It's hot tub weather. It's winter beer time. It is. That's the way I start to think of it. Jared's uh, got his uh, Raiders toque on tonight. Raiders colors. Hey, hey take that, KC. No big deal. Big, big win for JR. <laughs> big win. Side note, big win. Let's call it like it is. Yeah. Uh, back to the Kilkenny. Um, this tastes like the Irish Embassy Bar in downtown Toronto, which Ooh. we frequented before, gentlemen. <laughs> Kim Rodney's um, call back there. Very, very good. Jamer, I'm going to toss it to you before I give it a ranking. Yeah, I love Kilkenny. Love my dark beers. When the weather turned cold, I like my dear beers to turn dark. Kilkenny's perfect for this type of weather. What did we get up to? Like about nine degrees today. That was a high. It was a cold, yeah. wet day here in Kingston, Ontario, and uh, nothing goes down at the end of a end of the week on a on a cold, wet week like a Kilkenny. What do you got, Webb? Yeah, it's uh, it's a great beer. It's uh, the illegitimate uh, stepchild, I guess you'd say, of Guinness and Smithwick's Red Ale. Um, <laughs> kind of, you know, the combination of the two of them. It's smooth. It's light tasting. So even though it's a darker beer, it doesn't taste like a dark beer. Kind of like what we were talking about with Red Fox there last week. Um, so it's enjoyable that way. It's a big beer in Canada. I was doing a little bit of a deep dive on on this one this week. Uh, huge in Montreal, which really? I remember now thinking back on a lot of a lot of pubs in in Montreal crush in Kilkenny. Those are uh, brasseries. Australia, Australia yeah. And apparently since 2013, they've been on a bit of the uptake, mostly because of celebrity endorsements from guys like Mike Myers, Ooh, Harriet, really? and <laughs> well, Drizzy, Drizzy Drake from the Six. I would have figured they would have oh. got some love from... Uh, who are the guys that did basketball in that... Uh, Trey Parker? And yeah, that yeah, Stone, yeah. From Stone, uh, South Park because Kilkenny. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. But a boom. You know it's Friday night when Jamer's dropping the bad dad jokes. I love it. Hey, I'm, wearing my, I'm wearing my dad my dad sweatshirt that JR loves, you know? It's an it's a crew neck sweatshirt with no like hoodie, it's just a crew neck. Like it's literally yeah. a Tim Allen home improvement sweatshirt. Looks like it may right. be from the nineteen eighty seven LL Bean catalog. Ooh. Or it might have been from Free the clearance rack at uh Old Navy. But. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right, what are we ranking here, boys? Okay, I go high on this one because I love this beer. This is up into my big boy beers. Like a Red Fox for Webb was one of his big boy beers. This is my one of my all-timers. Yep. Uh, this one goes 8-6 for me because I love this beer, and I can't say enough good things about it. Like gonna, Drow Drake says, it started from the bottom. Now it's here. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm going to go I'm gonna go a little Mikhail Grabowski here. I'm going to go an 8.4. Oh, I love Mikhail it. Kropowski. I do love it. This is my first eight rated beer. I'm starting to elevate my ratings right. here. These these ones Time to get up there. and the big ones. I I apologize to all the breweries before. I, I'm, you know, I you deserve higher ratings, but that's where I'm at now. Eight point four. It's a good one. It's a good fall beer, like you said. It's another good date beer. Uh, you can get this one when you're out, and it yes. feels great. It's it's a perfect like sitting at the bar. You can get it on draft. I'm not going to go as high. Uh, only because we are drinking out of glasses. It's one you have to have out of a glass. You can't drink it out of the can it's or true. out of the bottle. It's one you got to have in a glass. I'm going to go Purnell Carl Suban and go 7-6 on this one. Ooh. I'm not going super high because I can't. I mean, you guys know how I love my Guinness. I can't go higher than Guinness. Ooh, no, that's not true. a chance. So it's the illegitimate stepchild, but it's in the same family. That's fair. There's nothing wrong with that. Fair enough. So as we mentioned, today we're doing the movie Warrior, written and directed by Gavin O'Connor, distributed in 2011 by Lionsgate. It got an 8.2 rating on Internet Movie Database and an 83 rating on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. 
had a budget of $25 million and grossed $23.3 million at the box office. Music by Mark Isham, starring Joel Edgerton, Tom Hardy, Frank Grillo, and Nick Nolte. Quick movie synopsis. A former Marine haunted by a tragic past, Tommy Reardon returns to his hometown of Pittsburgh and enlists his father, a recovered alcoholic, and his former coach to train him for an MMA tournament awarding the biggest purse in history of the sport. As Tommy blazes a violent path towards the title prize, his brother Brendan, a former MMA fighter unable to make ends meet as a school teacher, returns to amateur ring to provide for his family. Even though years have passed, Recriminations and past betrayals keep Brendan bitterly estranged from both Tommy and his father, but when Brendan's unlikely rise as an underdog sets him on a collision course with Tommy, the two brothers must finally confront the forces that tore them apart. Will the hatred and pain win out, or will brotherly love prevail? Let's dive into our character review now, and let's start out with uh, Tommy Reardon, slash Tommy Conlon, uh, played by Tom Hardy. Tommy Conlon. I was as I, as I watched this movie, guys. I had a hard time getting a good read on this guy because a lot of Tom Hardy roles. First of all, he's not a lot of a lot a lot of talking. But then I kind of came to a realization that Tom Hardy can say more with body language than maybe most actors I've ever seen. Tom Hardy's really good at the body language with his movements with his body. So I started to kind of, I started to kind of figure this guy out for what I saw anyway. I had for so for Tommy Reardon, Tommy Conlon. Let's just call him Tommy. It's just, um, yeah. I, you know, I had the cool, the dark, the sad. I also, though, had him for, I wrote down the thing that fighting is his vehicle to success. Whether it's a way for him to provide for uh, Manny's family or whether it's a way for him to find some sort of refuge. I'm not sure. He needed to train. He needs this in his life because really there's not a lot there to him as, in regards to happiness. He's that man of mystery. The bad relationships, uh, his past, there's got to be, I had some PTSD has to be in there big time, um, CTEs kind of stuff in there. I thought, I really liked him as a character. Yeah. I love Tom Hardy as an actor. I think that goes without saying. Oh, God, I don't yeah. know many people who don't. And I thought he did an awesome job with this character again. But I kind of just, I, he grew on me as the show went on. He started to feel really sad. Then there's a point where I'm like, I don't know if I like it. Then there was a point where I'm like, I kind of like you. But you had that feeling of like blue collar, any town USA. And then, you know what I mean by any town USA? Yep. Like in his town, the mill, the man stand, yep. the brick yep. buildings, that yep. kind of thing. And he was tragic. And you knew there had to be more to this guy. So overall, I really enjoyed his character. I thought he was great. I thought he... He pounded people when he first took on um, the name of the first fighter that he took on in the gym. Mad Dog. Mad Dog. Uh, Mad Dog Grimes. The f- initial beatdown of Mad Dog Grimes was pretty impressive, and the speed of that was scary. Yeah. You're like, that was fast. That was really, really fast. That was well done. That was well acted. And you really got to realize just how tough this guy is. And then he said, you owe me $200. Yeah, that's pretty legit, Webb. So those are the kind of things I had on him, and I really found Webb in a way to get my way around this guy. It was really hard to figure him out. Yeah, he's he's the ultimate damaged individual, right? Like he's just had so much trauma in his life uh, from an early age, and so kind of like what you said, I think he 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 needs fighting as a an escape 
right? Uh, and he needs that as his refuge, um, just to kind of to to kind of get him away from his his normal day to day, right? His his life has been shit for a very long time, uh, and so he needs this refuge of fighting. Uh, and when he he had it when he was you know in high school and winning state championships, but he also has like a, a love hate relationship with it too, right? Because in a lot of ways, it's brought on some of the negative things in his life or like his relationship with his dad is there's there's obviously some kind of tension there too despite you know all the other issues but like the fighting relationship and the coaching relationship that they had um there was some kind of you know damage there even though he, he did really really well uh mm-hmm. because of his dad in a lot of ways so i i don't know it, it, he's he's definitely uh you mentioned his body language jr he's a scary mf'er in this movie that's yep. for sure absolutely like, like he he looks like a scary dude tom hardy got super jacked for this role he does say a lot with his body language he, he we you know when i was watching this and i was texting with you guys ahead of time i think i was making the joke like all right tom uh, this is your agent calling uh we're gonna get you this movie and you got about uh four lines of dialogue the whole movie <laughs> uh you think you can do it you work out for uh six months get huge and get in shape and then uh we'll make you a couple million dollars sound good okay <laughs> <laughs> like there's not a whole lot to it. He uh, he's just huge, uh, and he does he does do a great job at being a scary fighter dude. But yeah, trying to trying to be redeemable in a lot of ways through mm. through fighting. Jammer, what do you think? He came back to a, a time in his life and to a person in his life who brought a ton of his especially early early childhood trauma into his life. Right yep. enough so that him and his mother had to run away, and as he mentions it. We didn't. It wasn't enough to go west to the shore. As soon as we hit the shore, we went north. Yeah. Uh, so that's how bad this abuse was when he was young, right? Yeah. And having read like Patrick O'Sullivan's book was a big, really big op- eye opener for me about that. I mean, I always knew what it was. You know how imp- impactful, tra- like na- really horrible trauma can be in someone's life. But after reading Patrick O'Sullivan's book and understanding how much of an impact it has for the rest of someone's life, every single moment of it for him to come back and like confront his father like that and actually get him to like train him deep down Tommy wants some type of a resolution there 100%. and and he's had this he's looking for it even though he's putting that the barriers up early on as the movie goes on you can see him kind of those barriers receding he, he has that tender moment where he takes uh his father in his lap in the room after yeah, he sees his father dealing with yeah he's yeah. clearly going through a moment yeah but that first step of actually showing up and confronting his dad and wanting to kind of work with him, even though he's like, I don't, this man doesn't mean anything. He's just going to be my trainer. Well, there's trainers everywhere. You could have gone anywhere to get a trainer. There's, you're clearly there for a reason. So I think that speaks to that complexity. So I think that he's in, he's in a crisis at this point in his life. He's had this thing that's gone on in the military. Um, you know, he went AWOL. He, so he's, I think everything's been building up to a point where he needs to, He's either going to destroy himself or he needs to find some type of resolution. He needs to an outlet for sure. Yeah. And yep. I think you mentioned, I think the violence is the thing that he uses as it. And then we see that develop through the thing. I think he starts to break those barriers down as slowly as it may be. And a lot of it is left unsaid at the end. Like you kind of just assume that it's going to un- resolve beyond that. It comes back to the point of kind of, to me, an example of, made a really good point there, Jamer, how like a son still wants his dad. Yep. Yeah. Or a child, still, I should say, any child. They still want a parent. They as still long as want there's something parent. redeemable there. There, yeah, yeah. There's still he's good point on that. He's pulling at something. He might yeah. be as thin as that. Otherwise, he wouldn't this point, be there. But he's trying. Yeah. He That's wouldn't be point. there otherwise. Yeah. 
Um, let's move on to Brendan Conlon, played by Joel Edgerton. Okay, this is my favorite character in the movie. He's redeemable. He's noble. He seems much more noble. I had him down for uh, his idea of the physics teacher who still at the same time is going out there and doing things in the evening at the, uh, I can't remember the name of the bar or the the, pl- mm. the place he's fighting outside. It was I a rip really, joint, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, oh yeah. It was. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but I had to like... <laughs> I, I have their name written down yeah, somewhere. I, I gotta find it. But I had for, um, I found he had more depth to him. And you could really make connections to this guy because this is a dad who's a dad first and he is doing everything humanly possible to try to pay for the surgery that probably put him in a hole. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, he sounds like a pretty awesome teacher. He seems like he builds great rapport with students. And he has a following. And that scene in the principal's office when he's banged up the day after. And the principal's like, well, the superintendent's here. Just try to hide. Obviously, he got in trouble. But the principal was like, that's kind of awesome at the same time. One of my physics teachers is out there doing MMA fighting on the side. I really enjoyed his character. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. Like, as the physics teacher, like nobody's gonna fuck with him. That's for sure. Like, no high uh, school no. kid's gonna take a run at him. His storyline to me, he he symbolizes the whole turn a guy can do with the love of a good woman, right? Like yes. he he, and that's where we we never really get that with Tommy, right? I mean, Tommy just goes through all these different uh, different other tragedies, but like with Brennan. Uh, you know, he's got Tess in his corner the whole time and he, she's always been there for him and she's his high school sweetheart. And like there, there's stability there in that relationship. Uh, and Tommy never seems to have any of that kind of stability until he joins the Corps. His mom dies, his dad's, you know, a fall down drunken who's abusive and all mm-hmm. this other stuff. Uh, and his brother who he, he would look to to be that stable piece, you know, who's his older brother and he would look to and turn to for that. He's, he's not there either, right? Because he turns to stays with the dad. So, I mean, yeah. uh, <clears throat> Brendan is, he, he's, he's like you said, Jerry, he's everything that Tommy isn't. He look at, he dealt with the, the tragedies and the stuff that was going on in the house in a different way. And he was able to do that because he had Tess in his corner. Yeah, uh, that's mm-hmm. my, my take on it anyways. I don't know, Jane, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think, I think Brendan's situation when they were growing up and it's it's a lot of it's left unsaid so you're kind of making the assumptions but there were a couple of hints where uh, brennan has a little bit of an edge to him because tommy was the golden child i don't know if you picked that up yeah but tommy was obviously had the athletic prowess when they were young they talked about it like uh, um the the dad patty right patty Yeah, yeah patty and tommy had that connection where it was like Tommy had this goal. He was going to be the greatest wrestler of all time, right? Like, yeah. and, and Patty, they had that connection where they were doing that. So a lot of times when you have a father and a child, just like Andre Agassi and his father, Tiger, and his dad yep. and whether a lot of that hard love and whatever you may want to call it, and if you have an abusive dad, it'd be even more, right? Like Patrick O'Sullivan had that in his situation where they're way harder on that child because Patrick O'Sullivan had siblings. Yep. They didn't experience the same abuse as he did because he was the chosen one for in his in his father's eyes um so i i kind of picture that with tommy even though it wasn't said i he probably got the abuse worse than brennan even though brennan was the older one and he would have witnessed everything and been around it but i bet you tommy got it harder because he was kind of the chosen one and it was more was expected of him it's funny too though eh that you know you'd like to think the older brother would have stuck up a little bit more in those situations too right and he we never get that impression that he he does like he, no, and I, he and seems I, kind of like a, a a scared kid in comparison to Tommy. But in and around sixteen, he was leaving 
There's not yeah. much you can do no. to your dad before 16. Yeah. Like, I don't know. That's one thing I thought of, too, when you said that. I think yeah. two things with Brendan. One, he wanted to get away from it, and Tess was his escape. Yeah. So he escaped into, like, I'm going yeah. to put my energy into Tess. The other thing, too, is uh, there's a lot of resentment for being the child that's not the chosen one. Yeah. So I think he had some resentment towards Tommy, and he shows it a little bit. Like, he lets it fall, or he lets it drop. I think it's in the scene where Nick Nolte, sorry, Patty comes to the his house and they have it out in the driveway. Brennan kind of gets angry that one time when he talks about like when when um, Patty mentions Tommy's back. You mm-hmm. can see him get mad about that. He's yeah. like, "Oh, the chosen." Like, yeah, he says point. something yeah. along that yeah. lines. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of that, which makes the whole dynamic of the three of them really awesome through this movie. I think yeah. the story of the and I think you mentioned Webb. Like, it's not so much a, a story about MMA. It's more of a story about a family. Yeah. And their inner workings. Yeah. Which is classic uh, Gavin O'Connor. He's I don't know if you've seen Pride and Glory, the other movie he did with uh, yep. Edward Norton and uh, Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell, yeah. And also Gavin O'Connor did uh, Miracle, and there's there's a lot of relationship type of stuff in there, even though it's more focused on the hockey. But anyway, uh, yeah, that was my take on Brennan. Great character. I think you guys crushed it. Those two, yeah. to me as well, good pastor brothers. I thought they yeah. looked a lot alike. Yeah. I did. I thought they had a lot of similarities. Yeah. This this also I found, you know, uh, really cool. So you got Tom Hardy, who's British, yep. and you got Joel Edgerton, who's Australian, and they're both pulling off these, like, guys from, like, what, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, yeah. like, Pennsylvania. Killed Rust Belt, USA. And they killed the accents. Pen- yeah. Like, Rust Belt. unreal job. Like, you, I, I was blown away, and that when I found that out, I was like, holy crap. Like, I knew, I always knew about Tom Hardy. I didn't know Joel Edger- Edgerton. Yeah, if I'm butchering his name, I don't know him as well as he was actor. lesser known at this time. Yeah, and I don't know what else he's been in. If you ask me, I couldn't really tell you. I'd have to go look him up. But mm. uh, you know, Tom Hardy's been in Peaky Blinders and a bunch of other cool stuff that we like. Bane. If you think about yeah. it, though, Web. I mean, we'll get we'll move on in a minute. But like a lot of European actors can look at McNulty in The Wire. Yeah, he's oh, yeah. from he's from England too. Same well, idea. Like you, they can pull uh, it off. Nick West. Yeah, he's yeah. a great actor. It was funny. I watched an interview with the two of them just talking. They had such a great chemistry. You could tell they had a blast doing this together, mm-hmm. and they really hit it off. And one of them, because uh, obviously you know how Australia was founded, right? They took all the criminals yeah. from Britain, and they put it, well, Shipping obviously there was Aborigines there, but um, they shipped those guys down there. So I think it was Tom, no, it was Joel Edgerton or Tom, I can't remember which one, made a joke about like, you know, we're, we're probably related somewhere down the lines. They just, or your great-grandfather screwed up, and they sent him down. He, <laughs> he, he stole some cabbage, and they sent him down there. That's you know, funny. Like How many it. pints do you think were consumed oh. between those two? Oh. Like, oh. Definitely a few Kilkenny's. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Crushing yeah. Kilkenny's. Uh, let's go down to Patty Conlon, played by Nick Nolte. Legend. Love Nick Nolte. Love him as this character. He, he, he plays this role perfectly. I know, James, you're going to talk about it, so I'm not going to cut your grass again with a little known fact, but... He, he seems like he was perfect for this this role, uh, like it was made for him. Um, he He's another one where you can just see he's trying to to live with past mistakes. And he is trying to redeem, be redeemable and get better. And he's trying to do do better this time around with his kids, mm-hmm. right? Uh, especially with, with Tommy, but also with, with, uh, with Brennan. Like you, you can see he's, he wants to be involved as a grand, grandpa. He wants to try and do better. Um, and he wants to, he wants to have family around him. He realizes how much imp- uh, that is, how important it is now. Excuse me, and how he missed out on that because of his actions. And with him too, you know, we talked about uh, Tommy having some PTSD. And everything. He for sure has some too, right? There was there's got to be 
uh, reason for his uh, alcoholism and his abuse. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to get put that up to the fact that he was in the Navy as well. And there was probably some shit he went through that he wasn't uh, able mm-hmm. to live with when mm-hmm. he came back to air. I don't know. I also had him, though, as your classic uh, addict. The um, uh, naming off the days or talking about how he wants to do this, he wants to do that. Just constantly trying to reassure everybody around him because he's broken down a lot of barriers or, or sorry, put up a lot of fences, sorry, I should say around the people he loves that they're very guarded around this guy and he has to live with the fact that he's still an addict all the time and that keeps going throughout the movie he's trying to put things back but nick nolte did a fantastic job of playing the role of the damaged guy mm-hmm. whatever he has done in the past he he knows it and you can see when tommy brings it up or when brendan brings it up you know there's a lot of bad bad things that have been done and yeah. Nolte wears a lot of it in his eyes and his face and things like that. You can tell he did an awesome job of playing that addict who's trying to tell everybody, I'm better, I'm better, I'm on day 1,000, whatever it is. But he still is just fighting that all the time throughout this movie. It was really well done. I think, before you jump in, Jim, I think what I thought was really cool, too, that they wrote in this was the structure and the pieces that that uh, they put in place for recovering addicts, right? Like they have the mm-hmm. same routines to help keep them on the straight and narrow. The Moby Dick. Yeah, like, the Moby Dick accurate. and and going to the same meeting and, yeah. and like going to the greasy, same greasy spoon to get the food and like having the same waitress, like having those consistent routines to help them kind yeah. of be more predictable. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think they did a really good job at highlighting that with his character. Yeah, I didn't do too much of a dive into like Gavin O'Connor's past, but he usually has characters that have an edgy past or a tough mm-hmm. upbringing. He has that toughness and grittiness in all of his movies. So either he's probably been around that or maybe somebody in his family has, a, you know, because he usually does have that. And he's very accurate when he does it. It's compelling, right? Like yes. it makes you want to watch. So, yeah. I mean, it's good storytelling <clears throat> if nothing else. Another movie yes. we'll probably do at some point, The Way Back, uh, which is a basketball movie. It's another Gavin O'Connor movie with Ben Affleck. I actually just watched it recently just because people have been talking about it and I thought I'll give it a shot. Mm-hmm. But it's very similar. He's got that grit. There's a lot of like gritty neighborhood, a lot of mistakes in your past, trying to redeem yourself, that type of thing. Does so, it take place in Boston? I don't think it's Boston. No, it is. It's it's Matt. <laughs> I'm like, is Ben Affleck <laughs> capable <laughs> of doing a movie that doesn't take yeah. place in Boston? In You're right. It, it is in Mass. I don't know if it's Boston. It's one of those Worcester? towns in Mass. Worcester? One of those spots. But 100% it is. You're right. You're right. Worcester. No, I think you guys crushed everything with Patty. Let's move on to Tess Conlon, played by Jennifer Morrison. Uh, well played, Brendan. That's definitely a girl. You leave that. Just is he punching above his weight class here? He might be. What'd you say, Jerry? He's you slip one behind the secondary or something? You're kicking past the cover. Yeah, there one. you go. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing really well. And at that age of 16, I do not blame him for... Uh, he's a good-looking dude, though. I think that's, a, that's an even matchup. That's a good deal. tail to take. He is a good-looking dude. Yeah. He's a good-looking guy from a really bad situation. I wouldn't kick him out of bed for eating Oreos. And... Oh. <laughs> And she's a really good-looking girl from a better situation. So I think he did the right thing. He did what he had to do. His man overboard, and he grabbed a lifeboat. Or that argument that he has with Tommy on the beach. When he says, "Hey, I, I, you know, I ended up marrying Tess," Tommy should have been like, 
You're right. Let's be best friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this girl's awesome. I get it. <laughs> I get why you abandoned us. Yeah. I had, she's beautiful. She's smart. She's caring. She's a battler. Like, she's there for you. She comes and watches you. She kind of still supports you. She's fantastic. Yeah. Just an awesome character. Well done as an actor. Uh, well done all around. Well, yeah. She's she's a total smoke show, like you said. And, yeah, she's super uh, – not necessarily in the way – that you, you'd maybe want in terms of being a fighter's wife at the beginning anyway. She's opposed, but she's opposed to it for a good reason, right? She's yeah. also looking at it from the lens of being a mom yeah. and wanting her kids to have a dad who's there. And not only her, a dad, but this dad, this dad who's a great dad who lets their kids paint his faces and he stays up and fixes their dollhouses because there's a piano right. recital the next day. Like yeah. there's those moments where you just see like, She's like, no, I want this life with you and I don't care about our house and I don't like, so I don't know. I just found her just to be a really, really down to earth person, somebody who grounds Brendan, yes. but who also gives him uh, a solid foundation, right? To, yeah. to get up and do what he needs to do every single day. Yeah. You nailed it. Let's move on to Frank Campana, played by Frank Grillo. I liked him a lot. I love this guy. Feel the Beethoven. I actually really like him a lot. I thought Eric his... quoted that one a few times this week. I did said he? that this week. Did you feel times. it, Terry? I did. A couple times. Just <laughs> to calm down and get in the zone, I was like, feel the Beethoven. Uh, I thought he was very, very realistic the way he did it, the way he talked, the way his, like his, um, info from the corner, the way he would talk, like, lift your hips, move, like how calm he would stay. So he literally was living his mantra. Nice job acting. Every piece of, you know, my UFC knowledge is not deep. It's the pay-per-views on a Saturday night, like everyone, like a lot of people. But the way he acts seems to be like he did a great job at that as being a trainer. I don't have much more to say. I just thought he did a fantastic yeah. job playing his role. Yeah, I don't have much on the, in the way of anything really yeah. here to add. He he did a great job for what he was asked to do. And I think the character itself was obviously pretty believable. Um, I think maybe the whole connections piece that he seems to have right where he's got all these like different guys in the in the industry i don't know how realistic that is given mm -hmm. that i don't know how successful his gym was before this guy got here right so mm -hmm. I, I don't know so, i it, that was the only thing that kind of stood out to me as maybe a little suspect with him but i'll get in a little more depth in it but this guy his character was based on greg jackson okay who is obviously a pretty well-known uh, guy he, who also has like GSP in his sta stable or did have GSP in his stable and has a lot of big name guys. He's got that gym out of New Mexico. And oh, okay. I, and yeah, I, and, I know you mean in now. a cool way, they actually, Greg Jackson was a consultant on the film. They sent Frank Grillo, Tom Hardy, and Joel Edgerton, they sent them all there for six weeks to train with Greg Jackson to get ready for the film. So that's cool. It's kind that's of like a, cool. it's almost like an ode to, to Greg Jackson. And there's a lot of similarities there. It's kind of how he runs his gym out of there. I've watched a couple documentaries on Greg Jackson. Is that like John Jones? Does he go to that one? Is uh, he in Mexico or is he a different no, gym? No, he's a different gym. He's like okay. upstate New York guy, actually. Is he? Yeah, he went to Morrison College. Oh, wow. Morris, okay. Morrisville College, actually. Keith Jardine. I forget, oh, okay. I, forget I remember who Keith Jardine. Are there any other notable characters that kind of jumped out at you? I had a couple. So, a couple guest appearances. Stefan Bonner. Oh, I really? love Stefan Bonner. Was he in the movie? Yeah, he came in on ESPN. Him and Rashad oh, Evans cool. were at the desk. Yes, Rashad Evans. I remember him. And there, I feel yeah, like yeah. Stefan Bonner, Forrest, uh, help me with the last name, Forrest. Forrest uh, Griffin. Forrest Griffin literally helped mainstream UFC that 100%. fight that night during the yeah. fight night. And I'm glad he was on there because that, to me, that hooked me into UFC fighting. Forrest like, Griffin okay, against Stefan amazing. Bonner was like that. that was the original Ultimate Fighter. That put yeah. them back on the map. Yeah. That was a 
big time fight. Forrest Griffin uh, was a used to be a cop in uh, Augusta, Georgia. Was he? Yeah. Not when I was there, but Word. before I Imagine was there. messing with that. Yeah. That's a no-no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you got Kurt Angle, the the yeah. three-time Olympic gold medalist or whatever dun, it is. Big dun, time. Dun, they did a good dun, job on that. They put they put a lot of real suck. guys. You suck. You <laughs> suck. Uh, so, yeah, you know, Kurt Angle. Uh, you know who I really liked in this? Is the principal. Yeah. I love the principal. He was awesome. Actually, principal, I was going to say. principal provides a little bit of comic relief that you need. And you know who else I thought good did a Good dude, too. You know who mm-hmm. else I think did a really good job in this movie? Um, were the kids. The, the kids. Very the high good. school kids. Yeah. Um, the, the young African-American kid there. He's in The Great Debaters. Uh, great oh, yeah. movie. Oh, yeah. He he's, totally he's the main guy in The Great Debaters. Uh, so, you know, I, I thought... All in all, they were they were great. That part of the storyline was great. I thought like uh, Jr. You mentioned the the uh, the interaction between uh, Joel Egg or Brandon and Brendan and the principal in the office before the superintendent. Like that was a great little scene. Like I just that's a principal you want to work for. Like yeah. he, uh, that's they a great great little scene. Um, and so yeah, he stood out to me as just like another good character, a notable character that would that would uh, help move the story along in a positive way. The only other guy I noticed too was uh, the banker who wouldn't give him the loan. Oh, yeah. He was from oh, the movie Miracle. To- Toby Emmerich. Yeah, he yeah. was in the movie Miracle. He's which, the guy. He's been which things. is a Gavin O'Connor movie. Yeah. Oh right. Okay. Got his guys. They, they got, got their guys. Crew. All right, boys. Let's uh, jump into some quotes. All right. First one I had, and this this so in this movie it gave me some comedic relief as well. Was when. Uh, Tommy went back to see his dad and he had a bottle of Jameson's. And his dad's like, no, good. Did you change brands? I yeah. laughed so <laughs> yeah, hard. Funny. I, saw, I was like, I that is know. unbelievable. And the other one I had when he talked about uh, the principal, the second gig, you know, the sub- supplement. This isn't moonlighting at Applebee's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this guy's awesome. Yeah, Those are my big ones, Web. It's funny. We're kind of on the same wavelength. So I had the one about the uh, when Tommy comes back the first the first time there and He's uh, not much of a woman's touch around here. No, no woman for me anymore. Tell me, yeah, you must be tough to find a girl. You can't take punches or something like that. Like that yeah. line. Oh yeah. Um, and then the other one I had, it wasn't necessarily a, a quote or anything, but the the scene where the principal is actually watching Brendan fight in his living room, and he's got like the glass of scotch beside him, and he's like, "Yeah, he got him. He got him." He's like going crazy. And his wife. You like, just see his wife looking through him in the kitchen, like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. <laughs> uh, Who's in there? Yeah. Like I thought that. It was pretty funny and stood out. And of course, you know, like if it was us, we'd be doing the same thing. Like, of course. It's just awesome. Yeah. I don't know. Well, one of my favorite quotes was <laughs> you guys know, I've, I've probably been firing this off a few times. When Mad Dog Grimes says after Tommy was like, I'll fight him, like in the sparring thing. And he's like, No, you go ahead back to your punching bag. <laughs> and Mad Dog Grimes goes, Yo, Rock, what'd you do? Leave Mick and Polly at home? <laughs> I love that one. That's pretty funny. Pretty the sure. other one I Got had punch. too was uh, Patty Three, the sound of the pills. Oh, he knew he's like, no, oh, yeah. that's three pills. That's an addict to me. Like they know oh, yeah. the sound of those yeah. pills coming in. Just yeah, things like sure. that too. He sounded like a maraca set coming in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's just Nick Nolte doing a yeah. really good job. Yeah, yeah. I had another one by Tommy where he's like, when they're sitting at the slot machine, and he says, "Let oh, me explain right. something to you. The only thing I have in common with Brendan is that we have absolutely no use for you." I thought that was a pretty like that's a good, that's a good scene. That's a that good was a really punch. good scene. It yeah. was really like really tough scene, tough but a scene. really good scene in that movie. Yeah, it just goes to show you the level of of uh, hate <clears throat> that he has for for Nolte, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Like just. And just the way he's sitting back. Yeah. That goes back to me the body language thing. Like you can just tell in the body language alone. He's like, get away from me. Yeah. Another one by Principal Zito. Uh, so when, when the kids are like, can we want to watch the, they want to watch it in the auditorium. He's like, so let me get this straight. You want to use the auditorium to watch a suspended teacher engage in the activity that he was suspended for. <laughs> 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 and then another one, uh, I love, first of all, just a shout out to, to Brian Callen's character. I thought it was great. It was kind of like what, you know, like what a Joe Rogan ripoff sort of speak. Yep. And I think they're pretty tight in real life, but uh, I thought it was funny when they had the two guys that were the fight commentators, and the one guy, Sam Sam Sheridan was his name. Yeah. Uh, give the guy, he was talking about Brendan Connolly. give the guy a break, at least he's fought in the UFC before, he's fought real fighters, I remember him, and then Brian Callen goes, yeah, I remember him too, I remember him very being very unmemorable. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Uh, let's jump into some uh, little known facts. So... Apparently, Jake Gyllenhaal and Hayden Christensen were the original choices to play Tommy and Brendan. God, no. No. Maybe Jake Gyllenhaal, Gyllenhaal could pull it off. I was going to say, Hayden Christensen's too pretty. Yeah. yeah. He's not going to be old. He doesn't look like he's ever taken I a I don't punch. like either of them. And he, he was you can't like, put Darth Vader in I was there. just no. thinking, like, he's too, he, he's too typecast now. I think, you know, doing Star Wars and all that, great for him, but... Not yeah, great. For I can't have that. No, no. He doesn't look like he could take a punch. No, no. So Joel Edgerton apparently tore his MCL in the cage during production, halting Ooh. fighting for six weeks. Tom Hardy also suffered a broken toe, broken ribs, and a broken finger. These guys were had, wow. were going at it pretty good. Like a lot of the stuff from what I read, um, it's choreographed, and there were you know what it was, but it's still very physical, right? And these guys are not athletes. They're not. Well, actually, Edgerton had, I'll get into it a little bit later, but he had a more of a background in it than, than Hardy had. The role of Patty was written specifically for Nick Nolte by Anthony Tambakis and uh, Gavin O'Connor, who are our neighbors, actually, in, in Malibu. The studio was resistant to casting Nolte, but the writers held firm that they needed him in the movie. This was a role that actually won him global critical praise. Which I thought, like we mentioned, he did an awesome role in it. Yeah, yes, it awesome you could tell it was written for him. Like, it was perfect. Absolutely. So when the announcer is quoting Koba's uh, credentials, he states that he's an Olympic gold medalist in wrestling. So Kurt Angle, who played Koba, won a gold medal in the 96 Olympics in the 220-pound weight class for freestyle wrestling. He was also a world champion in the same style weight class in 1995. Didn't he also body slam Yokozuna? Luger did. Oh, Lex Luger. That's on the uh, on Ooh. the battleship. Did he put yeah, him in the, the torture rack? Aircraft carrier. Yeah, oh, exactly. I don't he think he put he him, didn't in get him in the torture rack. <laughs> Remember his helicopter came down? <laughs> yeah. Lex Luger. So an interesting thing too about uh, Kurt Angle is, and I forgot about this, but because I, when I when I realized he was from Pittsburgh, because oh, Pennsylvania yes, Pennsylvania is huge Pittsburgh's in wrestling, huge right? Huge for wrestling. Yeah, yeah, that's a big wrestling country. And I was like, I don't know if you guys have re- either read the book or watched the movie or documentary on Foxcatcher. Yeah, I've seen Fox John Catcher. Dupont. Yeah, Kurt Angle actually trained at Foxcatcher. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. And his uh, his mentor and coach was Dave Schultz, who was killed by John Dupont. He was the guy that was was one of the main guys, right? Yeah. So I did watch a really emotional documentary, or not documentary, but an interview with Kurt Angle talking about that. Because they actually, Kurt Angle went to like the premiere of the movie and he said it was one of the hardest things he's ever done. Because this all happened while he was there. That's crazy. Mm. um, That's such a dark and weird movie. I know we'll probably end up doing it at some point down the road. We will. It's a weird one. Yeah, I actually kind of put together my, I was 
I spent some time this week putting together some of my lists for like top tens and top movies or whatever. And I, you know, I got, I got, I had to put that in some, it was a very good movie and I've read the book too. It's really bizarre and scary and interesting Mm -hmm. story about it all. Like how that somebody can hold that much power over a bunch of young people, but when their dreams are at stake, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like anything. Sorry. Sidetrack. While filming in Pittsburgh, Gavin O'Connor, Anthony Tambakis, Tom Hardy, and Joel Edgerton and Frank Grillo all lived together at the Cork Factory Lofts. I bet yep. you they had a nice little tavern close by. They probably, uh, had probably okay. sure they did okay. They probably found a local probably somewhere. Probably a good time. Yeah. Brendan Connolly may be loosely based on the real-life UFC fighter Rich Ace Franklin. Yep. That's like right. the character... Franklin was also a high school teacher who took part in cage fights to make extra money. So I, I did think that immediately when I saw this movie because I, I, I loved Rich Franklin. Like I remember when he beat Ken Shamrock and he got out of that ankle lock in that fight. That was I remember being like, wow. And then he went on a nice run there where he beat a lot of like big guys and kind of rose. Did he played Chuck Liddell. I feel like he did. Yeah, he was in the heyday too, yeah, like where those guys were. He had some really good fights. Was with he a, was he an ultimate fighter on the show? I can't remember. He was a coach. On he was a coach. He was a coach yeah. on one of them. He yeah. never competed on it because he was like before that he time. was already in he was already, yeah, he was already established. established at that point yeah and i love the nickname ace you know they gave him that yeah. nickname ace ventura because he looked like Jim he, Carrey. Oh, he does. <laughs> hilarious finkel and einhorn <laughs> Ace is um, out so actual ufc fighters anthony johnson and nate marquardt each play a role in the sparta contenders so when brendan has his first two fights he fights anthony johnson first and then he fights nate marquardt in his second fight the original script location for this movie was actually Long Beach, California. Uh, it was moved to Pittsburgh due to kind of the pen, the, the Pennsylvania tax breaks, mostly, uh, and also once they did some uh, early pre photography for the film, they really liked Gavin O'Connor and Anthony Tambakis. Really liked kind of the grittiness of the blue collar say, there. I like it. Wouldn't work in California. Long me. Beach is a tough town, though. That Long Beach dock, is known that's a dock town. That's yeah. a tough town. But the blue collar of Pitt takes the yeah. cake to me. There is a big fight scene out of Long Beach, but Pittsburgh, I really like the grittiness of Pittsburgh. Isn't Tito Ortiz out of Long Beach? He's uh, out of Huntington, Huntington Beach. Huntington Beach, sorry. Yeah. No, Huntington Beach, bad boy. And Huntington yeah. Beach, when you're there, has like a feel to it. For compared sure. to the other beach towns, it has like a feel. Where you're An like, edginess. This, it does. Compared yeah. to like Hermosa Beach and Manhattan Beach, Huntington Beach has a feel. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. The character Koba seems to be loosely based on uh, real-life mixed martial artist Fedor Emelianenko. I'm going to butcher this. Emilienko? Emilienko, I think. Emilienko. Yeah, that's great. You got her. Tommy Soderstrom. Tommy Soderstrom. <laughs> uh, or something like that. <laughs> Tommy, Tommy Soderstrom. So he was the number one ranked heavyweight in MMA for over seven years and was considered unbeatable. He was also Russian and a Sambo champion m- multiple times over. So you can see the comparison there for sure. Co-writers Anthony Tambakis and Gavin O'Connor were introduced by comedian Brian Callen, who plays himself in the movie alongside writer Sam Sheridan. Callen dated director Patty Jenkins for nine years, who is now married to Sheridan. But sorry, I, that's a weird like oh, love. Wow. Tri- Jr. loves his love triangles. That is a and there's one for you. There's one for you. Holy. <laughs> so I have to t- untangle that again. So Brian Callen dated. Patty Jenkins, who's a director for nine years, and Jenkins is now married to Sam Sheridan, who played his partner in the movie that commentated with him. Yikes. 
So I feel like little... Brian Callen, and this is going to sound like terrible, but I feel like Brian Callen, every time I see him, doesn't he look like a poster boy for like, I don't know, like a, a herpes medication or something? Like, <laughs> just, he looks, he's got that look about him. Like he looks like he has like a Breva guy. Yeah. Or like genital warts or something like <laughs> He just has a, a certain. He does. He has a certain look about. He him looks like, like he has gentle words. No, like, oh, he could. Kind of different. <laughs> but he looks. He looks like a guy that you should see on like the side of a bus or something. Oh, okay. for, for he's got a, that generic a, look. To yes, yeah. like he's just got a weird look about him. He should be on. Like, I can't. I can't look at him without thinking of Mad TV. Yes. Yeah. Hundred percent. He's so funny on that. Show. But maybe that's why I'm thinking it because he probably did like some kind of skit on Mad TV where he had that or something. Probably. <laughs> he was pool boy. That's I remember funny. That. That is funny. So Tom Hardy was asked in an interview with Ryan Lambie of Den of Geek if he was familiar with MMA before the film. His response was, actually, yeah, I got knocked out by Shia LaBeouf offset while shooting Lawless. And he's like, no, he did. Seriously, he knocked me out cold. He's bad. He's a bad boy. He's a scary dude. So uh, Shia LaBeouf was asked about it uh, in an interview with Zach Scharf of the IndieWire. And he was quoted as saying, we used to screw around with each other all the time, but it just so happened that this one week, my girlfriend was in town and Tom runs into the room and we were kind of under the covers in bed. The girl I was with was terrified. She jumped up and ran away with the covers. Um, Tom picked me up and I didn't have any clothes on, so I was naked on his shoulder with my dink hanging out. We're in the hallway and we're wrestling around. We ended up near the stairs and he went tumbling down the stairs and got knocked out. <laughs> he went around everyone, telling everyone that I knocked him out, which was hilarious because he was so huge back then. He was getting ready to play Bane. But I thought that was a That's pretty funny awesome. story. That's awesome. Yeah. Now Shia LaBeouf probably does have herpes, so... <laughs> <laughs> And now uh, Tom Hardy's shoulder does. Yeah. <laughs> so Joel Edgerton uh, on what it was like training. So he said we had eight weeks at 7 a.m. to about 3 p.m. every day. We'd literally go to the uh, Greg Jackson's gym at 7 in the morning, do some kicking, punching drills, then I'd go off and do a bit of wrestling until we'd all head off for a big steak and beers together after. How That's cool is that? Awesome. Living the dream. Living That's the dream. Awesome. Pretty awesome. I was watching some uh, documentary, or not documentary, some interviews with Joel Edgerton and a couple of ones where they were like behind the scenes on this movie. So I don't know if you guys noticed this, but Joel Edgerton, obviously he was the kind of the more polished fighter. Mm-hmm. Like he was more, he had more of a uh, ground game, you know, a little bit, he could fight different styles. And if you notice Tom Hardy, just his character, Tommy, would just come in and just brawl. Yeah, he'd right? bash people. Mm-hmm. Right, he was like. So apparently, that was done on purpose. It was set up that way because of actual the actor's capabilities. Apparently, Joel Edgerton had a background in MMA. He practiced karate and a, I forget what else it was, another mixed martial art for like ten years, and and had done a little bit of training, not 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 like fighting opponents in MMA, but had had a background in actually training in MMA. So when they brought him in, he was apparently he was a pretty good athlete too. He's an Australian. He, I don't know if he played footy or whatever, but they're like, we've got a lot we can work with with this guy. Yeah. He's gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna tailor that around him. So they were able to do a lot more with him with regards to some of the MMA movements and fighting techniques and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Tom Hardy was a lot harder sell. He didn't have any experience with that. He apparently wasn't a great athlete. So they literally just said, okay, let's just have him come in and just be a bull in a china shop, just bash people in. So that's kind of why they built it that way. <laughs> Makes sense now. And if you notice. Brendan's fights are a lot longer than Tommy's fights. Tommy's oh, fights last like that. 
that's because of what that's what they had to work with at that point at that time that being said let's jump into our realism review okay so i have a few quick things i'm going to kind of say i can't talk to actual mma in the cage i don't know i'm not qualified nearly to say what that is like i can talk a little bit about the psychological stuff to it the lead up the desperation for money the teacher in the states not making a lot of money and being desperate the need for brandon because of surgery with the health care issue things like that uh the alcoholic father or the abusive father that's all very real that stuff people go through um i think they did a good job of the gym the cultures of the gym maybe like it seems like they did a pretty good job with that the idea of you know starting from you know kind of figuring it out how trying to get your way in i like the use of the blue collar town i think that was great I already said I thought the brothers looked a lot alike. I had the desperation of the father, the sponsors, all those kind of things. Atlantic City seemed to be a very like legitimate place to have an event like this. Mm-hmm. It looked like the same hotel, like uh, the Ritz Carlton that uh, back in Boardwalk Empire, Nookie Thompson hang hung out at. Same thing. Like, it literally looked Chalky like the same. weights coming down. There yeah, too. I saw. Yeah, I saw like a lot of the same traits I watched when I watched that series. I thought a lot of those things in regards to not real i had a couple things like the amount of fights in that span of a time is insane and i i I think i can say that with confidence without knowing a lot about this sport that is that is off the charts so i'll have i have a note about that because originally i'm like how the hell are these guys fighting what are these three days two two days weekend friday saturday night right yeah so i was thinking in my mind i'm like how the hell can these guys fight in this like it doesn't make any sense but then I, I was doing a little bit of research, and I remember, you guys remember the early days of the UFC? Yeah, yes. like the Hoist Gracies and yeah. all, yeah. Like you know the how the first UFC yeah, fight. it was like a Grand Prix tournament, right? Yep. So I went back and looked at it, and I looked at some of them. So, for example, UFC, I got to give a little bit of realism that it's possible. It's not, not nowadays. They wouldn't do it now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, it was done, but it's not the way they do it now because of rules and With that regulations. Level? With regulations, they would, like, at least in this movie, they have weight, I'm assuming they have a weight class, yeah. right? Yeah, Like, back in the day in UFC, they had no weight class, they had no rules. You could do whatever you want. Remember the one guy came in with one boxing glove one yep. time? Yeah. So, anyway, in UFC 3, which was won by Steve Jenham, so you're not going to remember this guy at all. So, the interesting thing was, so, Hoist Gracie and Ken Shamrock were in this UFC 3, and they both won their fights, but they were unable to continue. So... And this was done all in a night, basically. Yep. One day. So what happened was uh, Steve Jenham, who didn't even fight in rounds in the, the brackets one or two, he fought. He immediately fought his first fight in the finals against the guy who had fought, who, who was a replacement for a fighter in the second round. So literally none of the guys that started it were Finished well enough to finish. The yeah. end. Oh. So they had literally had these guys they just plopped into the finals. And this Steve Jenham guy, like, in his first fight of the day, won, won in, in the finals. Like, so, I mean, like, it, they used to do it. Like, it, how, how many times did you have to do that to realize? These guys can't fight that more than once in a no, day. No, it's, it's insane. The last thing I had just to wrap it up for fake would be the Koba fight. Like, that would be stopped against Conlon, Brandon. Yeah. I don't think that's, I think that fight stopped. Which one? Koba versus Conlon. Yeah, I got. I a think point when about Brandon. That. Okay, I think that fight is stopped. When 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 what remind me of what when happened? Koba, when Koba's, Koba's just throwing him around, pounding him, and throwing oh, him around. Oh yeah, yeah, That yeah. fight does not get past. That fight oh, is ended. Yeah, Herb Dean would have broken. Dean would be all over that. Anyway, I'm gonna stop. Uh, Webb, I'll 
pass it over to you. I think those are just some of the quick things I saw. So I, I also, like you, JR, had a few realism points related to the story. So this, I thought this movie does a great job at kind of highlighting the relationship piece, like we said earlier, about the, the abuse and the, the trauma and how that could possibly affect um, the relationships. So I thought that was pretty realistic. I also thought uh, the notion of the, the teacher getting a second job is 100% realistic. That happens all the time in the United States because they pay teachers like shit. So there was that. And uh, just the kind of wife-husband dynamic and trying to figure out the balance between their life and the kids, right? Like trying to, to make it happen and how they work together as a team. That was all very realistic. Um, for the actual uh, sport, I actually went to an expert on this one. Got a little, uh, did a little research. The old web got, got busy and uh, reached out to his buddy, uh, Coach Brent Freya. At uh, out of Steel City MMA, uh, Brent the Professor Free, I should say. Great so name. my buddy Brent uh, has name. a gym in uh, in Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, he was a wrestler at, uh, at Lakehead University. He also uh, is a mixed martial artist. He has his gym that he uh, trains people out of. Uh, doesn't do so much cage fighting anymore, but he has a he has a pretty uh, legit background in MMA. You can look him up, and uh, his record speaks for itself. Uh, so I got talking to him the other night on Zoom about this movie and what was kind of realistic. So he, he gave me a couple talking points to make me sound way smarter than I actually am. <laughs> um, so you guys already kind of mentioned the idea of the the tournament. There's no way that they're having multiple fights, um, especially in something like that. Each state would have its own athletic commission that they would never sanction that. So that's not happening. The size discrepancy in the fighters. Kurt Angle does not look like a middleweight. We're talking about guys that are in the 185 range. Kurt Angle, you said already, Jamer was coming in at like 230. Like he had to he had to lose a ton of weight for this one, so he didn't even look remotely close. Like Brent said, all those guys just looked like massive middleweights. Like there's no way they're fighting in this. I would imagine that Kurt Angle was probably about 210 when he was yeah, in this. 100 percent, at least. Um, to your point, Jr. With the 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 Koba fight, uh, Brent also mentioned just how many scenes were. Uh, over sensationalized in the movie and yes it's a movie and so they have to a little bit but um so for instance he he used the example of you know in in baseball you might get like a a double play and a, a home run and a triple or something you might have one of those things happen in a game you're not getting all of them happening mm-hmm. in a game and in the Koba fight in particular you got like multiple belly-to-back suplexes happening you got multiple takedowns and throws and th- he's like it's just not realistic um, that that those many things would occur in one fight. Okay. Right. Um, so maybe you get like one really big throw and suplex, and then the guy gets on and ground and pounds and beat the crap beats the crap out of the other guy, but not not over the top like that. The one thing that I talked about because it seems to come up a lot in in fighting films in particular was the idea of the whole training montages, and he said uh, the idea of like the camps, right? That these guys all go in because you you know like even UFCs they they make a great. Uh, promo ahead of those fights where they have guys going to Big Bear and high altitude yep. training and all this stuff and and he said the camps themselves you know they usually last about anywhere from like 12 to 16 weeks um, and they're really more specific towards like the game planning for that actual fight the conditioning stuff the fight those guys have all been doing they're at the gym every day they're lifting every day they're training in the cage every day like that stuff's just already happening um, but the conditioning itself, it would be like, okay, this guy's really good at, sh- at shooting, uh, from this side. So we're going to play defense. We're going to, we're going to work on defenses for that. Um, so that was, that was kind of the idea. He said that's, that wasn't realistic in the, in terms of the montages. He actually said a lot of the, the underground fighting that they show, 
um, that this movie does a terrible job at kind of portraying that. And uh, whatever that Kevin James one is, here comes the boom, I think it's called, where he, he's kind of like supposed to be a mixed martial artist and it's more of a comedy movie. He actually said that they, uh, fighters all agree that they do a way better job at kind of promoting that underground fight scene and showing what it's actually like uh, mm. in comparison to what this movie does. Um, some of the other things we talked about, there's no way Tom Hardy's getting into this particular fight this unknown guy who has no professional career whatsoever in terms of mixed martial arts, he's not getting invited to this thing. Not a chance. And I said, well, what about a guy like Kimbo Slice who had like this cult following on YouTube and back air brawling? He goes, yeah, that was like a one trick pony too. Again, like that was Dana White being Dana White and a scumbag and taking advantage of a situation. Um, But these guys aren't for a a big money tournament like that, not happening. Underground fights don't even happen that way. Not for money. If anything, it's just scumbag promoters trying to make money off ticket sales. The mad dog scene where Tommy one punches them. That's not happening. This guy's a professional. I don't care that Tommy's been in the military and everything else. He said, that's not happening. This guy's trained to like take a punch. This guy's trained to avoid taking punches. It's just not happening. He's not going to get caught like that. He's not going to get caught like that. And I said, well, what about like George and GSP, right? Like even the best of the best get caught every once in a while. He goes, yeah, but he goes, but. Matt Sarah is still a legit UFC fighter. Who's Matt Sarah was accomplished enough. That's what I mean, yeah. exactly. So you know, I had to get tip my hat to him on that one. That was 100 percent accurate. So yeah, uh, yeah. Like I said, uh, thanks to Brent for for reaching out and uh, talking to me about it. Don't forget to check him out uh, if you want to get in touch or you want to do some training. He's got all kinds of connections all over Ontario. He'll hook you up. So check him out at uh, SteelCityMMA.com or on Instagram at, at Coach underscore Freya. Uh, and hook up with him. He's got all kinds of great ideas for you. That's great. Called, Thanks, Coach. That's called in, that's called some investigative reporting. Yep. Yeah. Well Thanks, done. Coach Freya. That was yeah, awesome. Thank you. I just have two things to add. I was looking at some uh, reviews by some MMA guys, and one of them had a really funny quote. He says, uh, they said, what, what did you think about the movie? And he said, Kurt Angle bench presses a guy out of side control and chucks him. He goes, that pretty much sums up the accuracy of the realism in the fight. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was funny. The only other thing, couple things I wanted to add, Tommy wouldn't have been able to continue in the fight after he has the injury with, from the Omoplata. Yeah. The same situation actually did happen. I remember watching this fight live, Tim Sylvia and Frank Mir. When uh, Mir, you remember that fight? Remember when Mir broke Tim Sylvia's arm and Sylvia tried to keep fighting? That's right. Because the medical guys come in right away, right? And they'll assess it then and there. Like, you can go or you can't. And they base it on, like, are you going to get into, like, physical peril? And we're going to die in the ring. Yeah, we're going to get fucked here, right? So they never would have let Tommy continue with that injury in the fight. That just wouldn't have happened. Uh, and there's no way, and this is just another side thing, right? Like, there's no way Tommy rips the door off a tank that's submerged in the water. That makes no sense. It's, like, ripping a door off a tank not in the water makes no sense, let alone being submerged mm-hmm. in the water when it's mm-hmm. harder to rip things off because you have the added pressure of the water. Yeah. Like, it, it's a little uh, much. There's adrenaline pumping and everything else, but not, you mean you not hear ripping the door off a tank. Yeah, you hear people, like, lifting cars and things like yeah. that. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. Not in water, for sure not. Yeah. Let's jump into soundtrack. So I'll go on this one. There's not a whole lot to really go on in terms of the soundtrack. I will say this. What I really loved about this particular soundtrack was the use of uh, the National 
uh, one of my favorite bands. Probably if if you're if you're into any kind of indie rock music, this is like one of the indie rock gods. If you're thinking uh, Brooklyn, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, this is this is uh, this is that band. They've got just such a cool melodic sound, uh, but they're also just so somber and they're so reflective and they're so remorseful sounding um, that they're perfect for this film, right? Um, so you got the, I like that they, whoever the guy was, James, that you mentioned earlier that, that scored it, I like how he bookended the movie with their stuff, right? So mm-hmm. you got the scene with Nolte driving around in the car and you've got Start a War as the track um, off 20, 2007 Boxer. I love that album, great album. Uh, and then you've got about a day to end the movie, right? Where they're fighting at the end, uh, and it's the final scene. And you just, if you, if you want to hear a great track, go check that one out. There's a great, uh, YouTube video of the National doing that song live in Germany. Uh, it's awesome. Go check it out. It's fantastic. Just really, really well done. Really, really well placed for this movie. I, I don't know. I didn't have a whole lot in terms of, other songs, other bands. There wasn't a lot. Um, there was some ones listed, but I think they were all in the, kind of the background, and I didn't really pay too close of attention. These ones were featured and prominent, so I really paid attention to those, Jer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what Webb said? Um, <laughs> well, so the mo- the, I thought it was great. The, the composer the was uh, Mark Isham. So he's known as uh, for his jazz and electronic works and has been involved in over 100 film and TV projects. So he's kind of well-known around the film and TV things. It's a- He's actually collaborated with Gavin O'Connor, the director-writer on this movie, in four other movies. Some of his accolades uh, include A River Runs Through It, Great Blade. Movie. Great movie. Uh, I forgot that we had him on, or we mentioned him earlier, which was Varsity Blues. In one of our earlier episodes. Was he the main guy in Varsity Blues? He was the composer for oh, that cool. one. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Men of Honor, Miracle, 42, and, and many other. Is like Men of Honor, the... Cuba. 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 Is that the one with the dive tank? Yeah, Robert. Where he's at, Robert De Niro. De Niro yeah. and they're the, that's uh, that's, that's where Cuba got the bends, and then he turned into what we witnessed yeah. in <laughs> Toronto that night. Earl, Earl Steakhouse. <laughs> Shout out to Earl's and the Lemon Drops. Yeah. yeah. We met Cuba Gooding Jr. at a Earl's Steakhouse in Toronto. One yeah, day. he sat at our table for a couple hours, watched the Leaf game with him. Had a bunch of lemon drops, uh, which we found out. AKA <laughs> bar lime. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which the, uh, the bar staff told us they were giving, uh, placebo drinks because he'd had way too much, but that's another story. Cuba. Remember he was like, let's go least. You're like, it's go least, go Cuba. <laughs> it's go least, go. Interesting guy. So let's get into our movie wrap up at this point. Where does this movie rank among all time? Let's stick to martial arts movies. And where does it rank among all time sports movies? Uh, martial arts movies. I gotta put this, I think I'll put it in and around 10, 11, 12, probably for me. I, I, it's been a while since I watched it before. I really enjoyed it. It was really entertaining for me. Um, I, like I said, it was, it was a good one. Um, I can't put it really, really high, even though I like the actors, actresses. There's a lot of things I really like about it. It doesn't like last with me like some other martial arts ones do, though. In regards to any sports movie, I don't even have a place to put it. I don't know where I'd put this. I really don't. I'm sorry, guys. I just don't have a spot for it. I don't see it. I I put it in the combat mix, like martial arts kind of thing. So let's say in the top 15 of martial arts, I I'm not gonna put it into like the me like what we call other sports movies where we talk about our tin cups and things like that. I don't have a spot. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, it's. I mean, we've talked about these these movies being. 
fringe sports movies for us. Um, and I think that's, well, well I'm, I shouldn't speak for you guys, for me anyways, uh, only because and I, any of those combat sports, I, I believe them to be, there's certain levels of athleticism involved in doing mm-hmm. all of them. Mm-hmm. I think that the people who do these, uh, do these types of acti- sports and activities are super athletic and can probably transfer a lot of that athleticism to other team sports and, and things of, of more traditional sports nature. Um, but I have a hard time putting that, uh, those, these types of movies in the same class as like your, I'll say big four North American type sports, right? Of baseball, hockey, basketball, and football. Um, I really, really struggle with that. So again, yeah, if, if I'm talking like where it ranks in all time sports movies, I don't, know if i could have it in a in a top 100 list it's i really enjoy this movie i mm-hmm. haven't seen it in years and when i went back and rewatched it i actually really enjoyed watching it again in terms of combat sports movies or fighting movies it's high i actually really really like i said i really really enjoyed it i think the nostalgia piece alone uh for karate kid i don't know if i'd put it ahead of karate kid same thing as you jerry but it's mm-hmm. it's it's up there. It's it's enjoyable to watch. I'm not putting it ahead of any Rocky movies. I'm not I'm not putting it ahead of I put of, boxing movies in its own Yeah, genre. boxing movies. I put are, boxing in its own genre. There's yeah, a lot of boxing and movies. And there's a lot of really good boxing movies, right? So I think in terms of MMA movies, and I don't know how many are out there, I think there's probably a handful. This one's a pretty high one for me. Mm-hmm. But again, I think what I really enjoyed about this movie is not so much the MMA piece, but the family dynamic, right? Yeah. And just seeing the evolution of the characters uh, and their relationship is mm-hmm. is where I kind of found myself liking this movie. It's more about a movie than a sports movie. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of depth to it's it. It's a yeah. great movie. Yeah, so I, yeah. I mean, I mean, sorry, James. I don't, no, I don't no, know no. what to really tell you. I don't know where I would rank it in terms of a, a num- putting a number on it. Yep. No, I agree. It's this movie has a lot of depth to it. We've talked a lot about that the kind of the depth of the family relationships and the struggles that each of them have. So it's not as much a movie about the sport of MMA as it is about a family and they're and they're, you know, kind of making amends and working on the relationship and trying to get back mm-hmm. to some time of normalcy there. But no, I did a good job. I just had a couple of small notes before I get into my rankings. Tommy's military backstory to me seems completely unnecessary for me. I felt like it made the movie longer hmm. and I, I didn't think they needed it. I think he had enough trauma with what he dealt with with his father. I didn't really get why they had to have his... Why is he First of all, why is he running away from being a hero? It's not like it was negative for him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like His platoon gets killed, he survives, and he ends up saving all these people from dying... But can I speak? I, I'm going to just venture a guess. Yep. My, my, my theory with that is that he's not used to being praised for something positive. Because of his life, the way because he's his, been raised. His upbringing. Sure. Right? So, like, he, he naturally gravitates towards the idea of being unaccepted, and maybe that's he's comfortable in that, right? It's the devil you know. Right. No, for sure. I just felt that the way it was written in the movie. They wanted to have some scenes where they showed the Marines standing up and cheering for him, and it was a rah-rah American thing. Yeah, probably. I think it's what I think it's some kind level of, what, of that. There's a little bit of that. I think because we're talking about a two-hour and twenty-minute movie. Yeah. yeah. You take that out of it, you're looking closer to a movie that's. But a little it's bit funny. More like mm-hmm. I was thinking about that too, because that was one of the things I was thinking about yeah. where it, what I liked about this movie, and even though it was long, like we looked at the Natural mm-hmm. last week, and the Natural is long. This didn't feel long. 
And I don't yeah, know, that's it didn't true. feel as long. Didn't as feel as long. I don't know if that's because I thought it was more entertaining than a natural or what, but it didn't feel as long. It held you more. Yeah, yeah but I also think the military storyline. I think that's. I, I actually think it is needed just to see that Tommy is redeemable, right? I I think that he he it shows that he overcame all that shit in a lot of ways and. Uh, he cares about something. He cares about something. That's right. He has to have something why he needs to win this money. That's right. Yeah, you're getting a good point. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's like, Give you that. otherwise, he's just so apathetic about yeah. everything else, right? Like, he yeah. just doesn't. He wouldn't be as likable. He wouldn't be as likable. Yeah. I mean, you'd feel bad for him, but you might not like mm-hmm. him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's this a good point. Him, this gives you something to like about him. That's a good point. The other thing, too, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more about Patty Conlon's background. Yeah. See some of that I trauma. Agree. We get a little bit of like the the parallel thing with the Moby Dick thing. Like I'm assuming when he's having the meltdown and he relapses, it's more about maybe his career in the Navy than it is about Ahab, Captain Ahab. There's a lot of levels, a lot of unpacking that needs to be done there. Yeah. Like refresh uh, my memory. What sets him off there? What's the trigger that gets him going? He has that meeting with Tommy, uh, Tommy at the at the slots, and Tommy, Tommy basically. Tommy That's okay. slams him again. You right. know, like he's right. he's kind of hitting a he's point. Just, he's just been beaten up so many times, like mentally. And Tommy mentions up. again, "I liked you better as a drunk." Yeah, okay, you know, and all that stuff. So that kind of yeah. gets okay. to that point. Yeah, 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 okay. Oh, and another thing about Tommy's AWOL story. The more I got thinking about it, it's kind of a ripoff of Frank Dukes and Bloodsport. Because in in Bloodsport, Frank Dukes goes AWOL to go compete in this tournament. And then the military police are chasing him. I never thought of that. Good point. You know what I mean? Yeah, good point, James. Because you see how the military police are waiting for him in this movie. And then in the other one, it's the same thing, right? So I thought that was a bit of a ripoff of Frank Frank Dukes' backstory. (laughs) That's right. So anyway, that was my thing. Uh, It's funny talking about rankings. Like over the weeks, you know, we're kind of like ballparking in our mind. Where does this rank? I actually sat down, spent some time this week, and I broke it down into different categories. And I actually ranked my all-time top tens. In baseball, hockey, basketball, football, boxing, mixed martial arts and martial arts, golf, and other sports. And I put it together. So I can tell you exactly where I've got this one. So in mix in martial arts slash MMA, this one's number three for me. Wow. I did put it ahead of Karate Kid by one. It's number three, though. And then in my all-time, I've got it at number 34. Wow. Wow. I'm being very specific right now. Wow. <laughs> Somebody's organized. Getting organized now. I, I'd put it at... You, here's the thing. I'd, I think I, I would put it ahead of, of Karate Kid as well um, because I feel like it'll have better longevity than Karate Kid. But he, I love longevity, but Karate Kid is still to this day. They I, still make shows about it. Yeah, but Co- Karate Kid, the actual movie, didn't hold up for me. This one, I feel like because the, the, more depth the focus is... Exactly. There's more depth and the focus is really on the relationship piece between that family. It'll hold up 20 years from now. I'm going to disagree. They're tight. I, 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 I love both movies. I'm not knocking this movie whatsoever. They're back to back to each other on my list. So and I can completely understand what you're saying. I'm not going to disagree with what you guys are saying. But I don't think any of these exist unless Karate Kid's there. And guys, it still holds. Daniel LaRusso isn't likable. No, he's not likable at all. But <laughs> Why don't you guys have an arm wrestle? Why don't you guys have an arm wrestle? And then I'll we'll do over the seconds. top next movie. <laughs> I'll win that in two seconds. <laughs> All right, boys, before we get out of here, I thought I'd uh, give a shout out to uh, JJ Reddick and Tommy Alter and the Old Man in the Three podcast uh, and steal one of their ideas. We did we did this a couple of episodes ago where we did a little bit of a draft, but I got a different idea for this draft. We're going to do draft. We're only going to do three rounds. 
because uh, we're we're already running quite a bit of time here. Let's do three combat sports mo- movie villains. We're gonna go. Uh, I guess the saying is "age before beauty," so we're gonna just gonna go because I'm the youngest. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go first. <laughs> so I'm going with the first overall pick, and then we'll snake it, and we'll go Jr. and then we'll go Jamer because you're the host. So Best you, looking. You get you get come last. Best so looking goes last. Yeah, okay, oh, sure. Yeah, something. <laughs> oh, my, the middle come back. Least amount of hair goes last. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going first. So I'm going first overall pick. I think this is a no-brainer. I'm going Ivan Drago. Ooh, uh, if there's a better, com- if there's a better combat villain, I mean, if he dies, he dies. Like there's good nobody. Start. There's nobody better than Drago. I think it's the best first overall pick you could possibly have in this category. What he's a roid head too. He's super, and he's just super Russian. He's Putin before Putin. Ooh, yeah, I like that. And he's got a girlfriend that looks like his twin. It's yes. true. And she true. may actually beat him up. Brigitte Nielsen? Yeah. Brigitte she, Nielsen? Yeah. Who, was, who ended up married to Sly. That's right. Yeah. They got married after this. Wasn't she also on that rehab show? She was with uh, Flavor Flav. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah my boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was somebody else. Oh, the dude from uh, Come, my lady. Come, come, my lady. Uh, She's a butterfly. butterfly. Yeah, Crazy uh, Town. Sugar, Sugar Ray. Town. Crazy, Crazy Town. Town. And sh- yeah, was Sugar Ray on that Sugar- show, too? Where they they all like hung out in rehab or yeah, something. Yeah, what yeah. What was that yeah. show called? Um, Gosh. I, uh, Flavor I, of Love? No, no, that was no. I think she was on Flavor of Love, though. She did go on that. Yeah, I forget what it was called. She was also in Creed too. Jose Canseco. She's in Creed too. Jose Canseco was on that one. Was uh, he on that one? Uh, the what the one that rehab one? Yeah, whatever it was. Yeah, I don't don't think it was rehab with Doctor Drew. That's it. It was a Doctor Drew. No, I don't think it was that. Was I feel like it was. We'll have to look that one. We'll look it up. All right, Jr. Who you got? First overall pick. First overall. Second overall. Second overall pick. First pick. Obviously, Karate Kid, John Kreese. That oh, is that's a good one. Miserable, miserable that's a good man. one. And his look and glare, you have to pick this guy because Absolutely. the era I grew up in, because I'm a little older than you, Web, says that hey. that is a villain of villains, hey. and you found no redeemable qualities in that human being whatsoever. Well nice. played. That's nice. who I have to go with for my first round. Yep. And he's still killing it today, and, uh, and uh, I did Cobra end guy? up watching uh, Cobra Guy. Yes, you did. Yeah, and he's still... He, looks, going John Kreese he doesn't look Johnny. that much older, even though he's like late 70s now. Yeah. Going John him. Kreese. John Kreese is the master. John Kreese over Johnny. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not even going to touch Johnny. I'm going with Tiger Tong Po from Kickboxer, played by Michelle Kesey. Wow. Yeah. So Kickboxer is one of my favorite combat movies, I should say. Uh, growing up in Tiger Tong Po with the guy where you're like, yeah. you know, he's dipping his hands in the glass. Yeah. He's a badass. He he kind of running the mafia there over there yep. in uh, Thailand. Like he's a he's a bad dude. That's a good bad pick. dude. It's a good pick. All right, yep. Jamie, get another one. I get to snake it, don't I? You do. Well, I think I'm going to stick with my uh, Van Damme movies and stick with my childhood. I'm going to go with Chong Lee oh. from Blood. I was waiting for that one. I was waiting Chong for Chong Lee. Chong Lee. Chong Lee. Have you guys seen that? Have you guys seen the funny uh, gif where they take? You know where Chong Lee's like. He like chops his arms. He's yeah. getting all excited. He's chanting. They're chanting his name. Have you seen the one where they put the superimpose the drum set on it? And he's got drumsticks. <laughs> and they're like, if you no. look up Chong Lee drummer, yeah. <laughs> come on, it's a funny. You got to check it out. It's hilarious. That's funny. 
Folks, check that out. Chong Lee Drummer. Look it up. It's oh, hilarious. Anyway. All right, JR. Okay, so I'm going to go with my second pick. I'm picking George Washington Duke from Rocky wow. Movies. Woo! I can't stand that guy. Well that guy played. is the epitome of a villain. Well played. He just sees people as pieces of meat. He used everybody. Rocky tried to warn everybody. That guy is awful. Hit me and I'll sue. Hit me and I'll sue. Sue Web. me for what? Sue me for what? So wait. Tommy Gunn only fights in the street. You're telling me, you're telling me Johnny's still on the table? Yep. Johnny's on the table. Johnny's on the table. Johnny's I'm getting table. ridiculous value for Johnny in this later round. So I, I have to take Johnny in this round. Your second pick? Yeah. Johnny Lawrence is my second pick. Uh, I mean, we talked about him in our, our Karate Kid episode. You're up again. He may not actually be the villain. I still think that that YouTube video is 100% correct and that Daniel LaRusso is actually <laughs> the villain in that. Um, but I mean, you, you can't get much better than, than Johnny Lawrence as a, an 80s teen heartthrob and villain. So I'm going with, I'm going with nice him. Pick. My third pick, I'm going to, I'm going to surprise you, you guys. And I'm going to show you this picture in a minute, JR, and you're going to laugh. I'm going with Goro from Mortal Kombat. I had him on my list. <laughs> I had, I was going to, I can't go. I was going to, I'll leave you guys. I did. I had him on my list. I'll leave you guys some, uh, rocky the hell guys, pick. but I got Goro going Goro, third, third round. He's high. Oh. He's going for me. I should have traded up two picks to get Goro. I, I know. I had him. I had him on my list too. <laughs> Only downfall about Goro is he doesn't have the balls to steal. No, he does not. Who you got, Jr.? Okay, so I'm gonna go off the board on this one too, which is kind of a sleeper pick. I'm gonna try to be uh, the Kyle Dubas of this draft, or the, he's taking a course. I got a feeling. I'm gonna go somebody. Okay, I'm taking Jimmy from Roadhouse. Good. This is an awful. That's a great league. pick. That motorcycle scene when Swayze comes out of the thing yeah. and jumps at him. I'm going Jimmy. Nobody roundhouse Roadhouse. Like Swayze. You that know, guy was brutal. One of my favorite lines, in, and I love Roadhouse. That's one of my favorite movies. One of my f- favorite lines in Roadhouse is when they have their duel outside, and yeah. then uh, <laughs> Patrick Stacey says, You're such an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I Classic. love it. Um, that guy's name is Marshall Teague. Yes. He, and he's a former Marine or whatever. Like he's, he really? he's oh, a legit so he badass. Legit fight. So him and, uh, him and Patrick Stacey became best friends when they were shooting that movie together. I think Patrick Swayze is an awesome was yeah. an awesome guy to film movies. Everybody loves Patrick Swayze. He's a pretty yeah. solid, dude. amazing guy. All right, so I got last pick here. Lots of options kicking. I'm going off the I'm going off the uh, off the charts here too, and I'm going to take uh, Zeus from No Holds oh, Barred. He was on my list. He was on my list too. Played well by played. Tommy Tiny Lister. Good well one, played. beauty. Who was also uh, in Friday? He played yeah. uh, Debo. Uh, Be- Debo. That's Debo right. on Friday. Yeah. Debo coming. Oh yeah, yeah, there's a. You got knocked the fuck out. <laughs> How is Clubber Lang still? I on still the have board? Clubber Lang. You know who I had honorable mention? Do you want to give one honorable mention? For sure. I had John Gillen played by Bruce Dern in Digstown. Yeah, Remember, he was like the yeah. guy, the greasy guy who ran that. Yeah, that he's uh, he's Laura Dern's dad, right? Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was a bad man. He was good. Yeah, I mean, well Clubber Lang wasn't taken. I clearly won this draft. Uh, let us know. We're gonna put it. We'll put, <laughs> stole we'll, put the resu- we'll put the results out on Twitter, but or on uh, social. <laughs> but I clearly won. So let us know. Thanks to everybody for listening and engaging with us on social. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram at Big League Flicks Pod and on Twitter at Big League Flicks. Uh, thanks again, everybody, for listening. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Big League Flicks, Jordan, Christian, and Jammer.
talking movies about sports and the glitz and the glamour. Got a cold beer pairing for the leading lady staring. Fun facts and trivia and man rocket comparing. Soundtracks and music, they'll rate all these things. Was it real or did they lose us as the fat lady sings? Talking junk, have a giggle, comedy, drama, romance. Did the film deliver six to noon in my pants? With their big bag of tricks, these podcast critics. Jordan Christian and Jammer with big league flicks. Jordan Christian and Jammer with big league flicks.